Hi, thanks for listening to my podcast. Let me introduce you with Jane Milton. I've been working with food businesses for 35 years and now I'm taking you behind the scenes in my business to connect with some of the great specialists, entrepreneurs and producers that we work with to hear how we create strategies that inspire business and how we help them create the perfect teams for specific projects and for their business as it grows so that they can get great results faster and much more cost effectively with our support than they would on their own. I truly believe the food industry in the UK has some of the best people in it and I'm lucky enough to know and work with the very best of those. Let me introduce you to Michelle Berrydale-Johnson, who for me and many others has been our guiding light on all things free from. Michelle became interested in dairy-free cooking when both her partner and son had dairy intolerances. And so she began to set up her very early free from business in the late 80s, making dairy-free ice cream and meals. As you will hear, that then led her into creating a newsletter for health professionals that then became a newsletter for people with intolerances, that then became a magazine, and from there she adapted it again and then went on to create what are now the Free From Awards. Michelle struggled to think of a time when she has stepped outside her comfort zone. That didn't surprise me at all, as she's very confident and happy to have a go at lots of things. There's no doubt that she's been pivotal in encouraging many of the producers and manufacturers of free from products we have today to have a go themselves or to constantly strive to improve products that they make. Can I ask you to describe what you have been doing in the free from world for the last many years? What would you say that job is? (laughs) How long have you got? Um, Well, it's really hard to say because I've sort of grown up with the free from world. I started totally. with it. We kind of started together. In fact, when I started, I was going to say you started it. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, go, I wouldn't go quite that far. But but basically, when I got involved in allergy, there was no such thing as no. free from. Um, it hadn't really been invented. Yeah. You know, so I was looking at it way back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, only because we were on a, a dairy free diet because Jonathan, my son who was a baby at that point and his dad were both uh, found to be dairy intolerant, not allergic as no. we understand it now, but intolerant. Because I was a kind of foodie person, I'd kind of looked around to see what you could get as alternatives and found there was zilch. I mean, it was just yeah. gross. The only thing you could get was really foul, chalky soya milk. Beanie bean- tasting things in those days. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was absolutely grim. And because I was a foodie and, you know, because I'd, I'd run a catering business, and that, which I'd actually sold a couple of years before that, uh, to focus on, on food history, which was fun. I was little writing books and things. That was all good. Yes. But I, I then looked around and thought, well, there's nothing. I mean, surely there's a market for this stuff. So we started actually manufacturing things in the early 90s. Uh, but, of course, we were way, way too far ahead. You know, ne- never, ever be a pioneer in these areas. And we did a whole range of, we started with a dairy-free ice cream, which is made with soya, which was actually made with tofu, and it was organic, and it was wonderful, except it didn't really taste like ice cream. And then we did a range of ready meals, which were all um, vegan and and gluten-free, and then we did chocolates. But of course, we couldn't sell enough. I mean, we did amazingly, and it does say something for the supermarkets, that we did actually get it, it them into, we got the meals and the ice creams into the major, into Tesco's and Sainsbury's. 
which is incredible at that point, isn't it? Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. I mean, it was, you know, a tiny, tiny little section. And of but course, still, we never. Yeah, but, but they did actually. Mm-hmm. They took them in. But of course, we never sold enough to even cover the, you know, the interest on the overdraft, let alone make any money out of it. So we stopped manufacturing. We did it for about three years, I think. And then we stopped manufacturing. But by that time, I had started a newsletter, which was, you know, to back up the foods. And then the newsletter turned into a magazine. I mean, initially, it was a free newsletter, which went out to health professionals, because my thought was, oh, here we all know about, you know, food intolerance. Now, they must all want to know about this. So I'll send out information about food intolerance. Well, of course, need to say it had very little effect. Um, but So I then turned it into a magazine, which would be a patient support magazine which was called Foods Matter. We ran that. And by this time, you know, the whole kind of free from thing was beginning to happen. People were beginning to accept that people might have intolerances, at least even, or be aware of them. Yeah, it was an interesting combination of circumstances, really, because there were more, more allergies, more instance of allergy was coming up. The more people were being diagnosed as celiac, people were becoming aware that there were, you know, people had problems with food, which they couldn't really put their fingers on. Those people who had these problems couldn't find anything to buy. So they were making for themselves and they were getting better at making for themselves. They're making really nice gluten-free cakes and things. And then friends were saying to them, well, you know, it's so good. Why don't you sell these things? Why don't you make them and sell them? And that just coincided with the start of the internet and the fact that you could actually put up a very small website and you can do mail order. So it suddenly became viable. I mean, when I, 10 years earlier, had had tried to sell my, well, what was then free from, you know, my allergen-free food, I could only do it through a wholesaler. I could only do it through the old traditional way. And also because you did things that needed to be chilled or frozen too, they weren't things that could easily have been posted out to people or... No, although although I have to say we did actually at one point mail order uh, tofu-based ice cream. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if people are desperate to get something, yeah. if there's absolutely nothing else, they would they would yeah, accept yeah. that. I know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we do, I mean, we do it with dry ice. I can, mm. <laughs> I can remember that. And, and the cost of it, I know. And, I mean, because it's only been in the last couple of years, really, almost since the pandemic, when more companies were doing mail order of food, that the courier companies have come up with reasonable pricing for those kind of things that makes that more accessible to people. Because, you know, before you'd have had to order £100 worth to justify the postage you'd have paid or, you know, which is which is not doable for everybody. Mm-hmm. No, so, so you know, it, it was difficult. And, but, it, you know, it, it did mean it was possible. Whereas, you know, 10 years earlier, it wasn't even possible to sell no. direct to your allergic customers. It was now possible. And yes. so all of those things kind of came together. And it started, the whole kind of free-from market started to grow. And obviously, the more people learned about it, the more people tried it, the more the better they became at it. And so, you know, it, it kind of just yes. gradually expanded. And at that point, we were still running our magazine, and we were testing all these new products that were coming on the market. Which oh, was, I remember those testing yes, sessions. Yes, I'm sure you probably do. Everybody does. Yum, yum. <laughs> yes. So I would I, say, would you like to come for dinner? And then we'd say, we're <laughs> testing 22 soya cheeses first. And you'd think, hmm. 
Okay. Well, you. It was really interesting, though, because it really helped you too, because there was so much stuff at that time that was still tricky or bad or, you know, like that. I can remember standing over pots of pasta and it would be too hard, too hard soup. You know? It was just, just revolting, or a yes. clump in the bottom. Yeah, no, no, no. So I mean, it, it, well, you say twenty-two pasta, uh, twenty-two soya cheeses. I wish there had been twenty-two soya cheeses. Mm. I mean, there weren't at that point. You no. know, if you were lucky, if you got two. But the, so that was what we started. We started testing, uh, and all my unfortunate friends and acquaintances were required to come and have dinner and do these sampling sessions, which were fine. Actually, they were quite fun, and it was, was really good. And I have made good. some great connections through those, and also at a time when I was learning about some intolerances that I had too. It was really useful to pinpoint decent things or to be connected. And that's also why your magazine was so good because people were so desperate for information for who could they talk to, who could they trust that they could get that information from. And I mean, at that time, very, very few GPs and health professionals had, I mean, any nutrition training even in non-allergy was rare, but for them to acknowledge anything allergy related even was difficult at that time. So, Are you suggesting they have that much now? Some do. <laughs> some do. Some do, and, but sadly an awful oh, lot no. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not that, it, it, obviously it is better. There's no question it is better. But it's but still difficult. Still... And I mean, I I was lucky my GP referred me to the homeopathic hospital because they realised there was something triggering all sorts of things in my, that I had gone from never seeing my GP to being there weekly, kind of going, what is this? And I was also lucky that I know about food. So when they said, don't have wheat and let's see what happens or don't have yeast, I think was where I started, don't have yeast initially and sugar. At least I knew what that was. And I mean, they loved that I did because they would send people off with a big list of things they couldn't eat and then discover that people didn't understand that rusk on the outside of fish fingers was actually made of wheat Wheat. or, you know, and also the whole thing about how expensive free from things were then massively more expensive than than known. And the difficulty then of trying to give one member of your family one thing and the other members of the family something different because you couldn't have afforded to feed everybody with a free-from item or a... No, that is, I have to say that's one of the big changes that's happened, you know, over the last five to seven years is, is A, that when your free-from food has become good enough yes, that actually the that whole you family has to eat it. And and you don't even have to tell people. I mean, I never would have, there are a lot of things in the house that I would never have that have wheat in them. And I don't discuss it with anyone. I just serve up dinner and we carry on. And you certainly couldn't have done that before. You certainly couldn't have done that before. And as you say, you couldn't have afforded to. I mean, it's still more expensive. Let's, you know, it is more expensive, but it's not so horrendous. It's not two and three and four times as much. Some things are closer in price and there are some, for instance, decent pastas that are gluten free that you can use that 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 would give you, you know, something that you could share with other people and sharing with other people and not having to stand out as being odd is such a 
a good no, no. thing too. No, no, not no. having to have the conversation about all your intolerances and their side effects before you sit down to eat with someone. You know? that, I, I have to say that the kind of vegan revolution of the last couple of years yes. helped that enormously as well because, you know, Back in the day, you know, it was you could get away with saying you were gluten free. Okay, well that's a bit weird, but um, but you know, once you got onto being, well, I can't have dairy and then I can't have eggs or whatever it is, that would then became another whole conversation. Whereas now, of course, with everyone, you know, if you want to save the world, you go vegan, so you don't eat dairy and eggs. Yeah, you know, that's it. No, it's so much that's easier. It. And and people are much more aware of it, and also all the discussions and legislation around allergens and things means people have to be a little more informed at least if not very aware but oh definitely i mean that that's been a huge a huge improvement i mean yeah. you know fun enough i can't remember what i was writing about relatively recently um uh, by you know some new legislation which is not perfect a pity they're not doing a and b and then for some reason i actually thought well you know let's just look back <laughs> and look back, you know, for 10 years, even, you know, it was only 2011 that the first allergen, you know, stuff came in. It's That's amazing, only 10 years it? ago. And, you know, I was looking back to before that, uh, the the 25% rule. Do you remember the 25% rule? Yes. Well, basically, so if you took a pizza, you only had to declare ingredients. Over 25%. When it was over 25% of the total, which for an allergy person was a complete nightmare. You couldn't eat yes. anything. Basically, no. you couldn't eat anything that you would buy because it could be lethal. You for couldn't you. be sure. Absolutely. No. No. I, I, I always remember you saying to me once about eating out, don't tell people that you have an intolerance. Tell them that you will be sick if they <laughs> give you something because it will focus their attention much more, which was true. And, you know, not in a dramatic way. I would just have to say, look, if I eat that, I know I will probably throw up in the restaurant. So I'm just trying to save you that job. Exactly. And yeah. and then they would listen. Whereas at least now there's a bit more awareness. And Oh, there is. I mean, you know, you, you when did you last go into a restaurant to eat something when somebody did not say to you, do you have any allergy problems? Any allergies. Although I, mean, uh, yeah. I was out in Glasgow a month ago with my brother who has a pretty strong gluten intolerance which has not been can't be pinned down but he he really does suffer and he had chosen a restaurant where a huge amount of the food is gluten-free and all marked up on the menu vegan gluten-free you know and they said the whole do you have any allergies and David said yes I can't have gluten that's why I'm here and then he said can I just check I don't know why he decided to ask this. Can I just check that you have a separate fryer for the chips? And the guy said, no, but the oil's really hot. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, what? Uh, and so we had quite a long chat with him, but it just wasn't sinking in. And, no. you know, I would say there is a restaurant that a lot of people are going to because they're flagging so much up in the menu as being gluten-free that people would feel that they had a good choice. And and Dave said then he has felt a little bit unwell a couple of times and assumed that they'd given him a beer in a glass that had another beer in it or, you know, that it was just a trace of something. But we now know, no, anything going through the deep fryer counts as gluten-free because it's of so the temperature. Yes, yeah. that's great. Isn't well, it? it was that easy. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. They're, they're, we're a long way from perfect. A long, long way from but perfect. It but, is, but it is a lot easier. And, it it, is. and it's not something that would mean 
it was just totally out of the question all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is, and, which and, is great. you know, the conversations are being had as well, which is the yes. good thing. You know, people that if the conversation is being had, so hopefully your guy will next time realize that uh, actually the fryer, the oil is important. You know, there is going to be contamination there. Um, and so- he also said to us, not that many people ask about it. And we said, yeah, but you're flagging yourself up as having a number of gluten free items. So they're assuming you know about it. Well, it's it's why the whole business of eating out is so difficult. Yeah. You know, we, we we were discussing the free from you know we, because we ran free from eating out awards for for five yes. years, which you know we we hopefully we will revive. But I mean, it's it's such a nightmare, you know, yeah, that we can it, eat out again. Well, well yeah, that, that of course being a totally separate issue. But you know, in retail food, if you're manufacturing in a factory. Yes. It's relatively simple. Of course, it's not, it you know, but it is relatively simple. You you have guidelines. And you can segregate areas. You can have separate factories. You can have, yeah. yeah. You can do all your risk assessment. You can have protocols. You know, people only have to go by the, the and you have, relatively speaking, the same staff doing it. Yes. But, you know, in a, a restaurant situation, it's just that the, the risk is so much higher. Just and also small spaces, moving small equipment spaces. in and out of small spaces and things. It is very the, difficult. The main, the main problem is the staff. I mean, yes. I, don't, I don't mean the staff are a no, problem, no. But, but by definition. Because yes, because they're, they're carrying things between the areas. Well, even more than because they change so often. You know, yes. the turnover in, in restaurant mm. personnel, very high. be they front of house or be they in the kitchen, is huge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, each time you're going to have to train them. And it's yes. not simple. You know, it really is We've not We've been talking simple. about this today. I've been at the arena lunch today and we were talking about needing to train people in food service in a cyclical way. And they were talking about having a weekly 15 minute training session on something and constantly updating because people don't stay long enough. No. They're only there for three months, four months if you're lucky. So you have to make things very accessible and easy and apps and, you know, because it is, it's a constant update. And you also have, you have a language issue because how many people working in in food service do not have English as their their mother tongue or indeed have a fairly poor grasp of English a lot of the time. And it's complicated. You know, it's, it's a complicated subject. It's yes. not easy. I mean, ideally, you know, sometimes they have difficulty grasping the hygiene regulations. Yes. So, you know, if they can't work out that you don't, you know, cut up a raw chicken on the same board as you cut the bread, yeah. then, you know, getting them to understand the allergy. But I mean, I, ideally, what, what would be perfect is if you could just include some basic allergen information in the basic hygiene training. Yes. Because everybody has to do the basic hygiene training. I mean, how well or badly you get it into your head is another matter, but you, it, it is a requirement that everyone has to do it. So, so then at only least somebody would have spelled exactly. out a few basics to mm, them. Mm, exactly. Yeah. And, it, you know, in a way, what's the difference? You yes. know, in, no, in hygiene, you're, you're worried about bacteria changing, you know, so from your raw and chicken it, and to it your being life threatening. And in allergies, it's, a, it's allergens that you're bringing to people. It is, no, it is exactly the same. And I think, I think that may well come. Mm-hmm. That way. I mean, certainly anytime I've been involved anywhere where people have done basic food hygiene, they do at least the basic allergen mm. training now at, at, you know, in as part of their induction. Mm. I, I think for bigger companies too, they would struggle to get insurance unless they were 
training people, which is good because that's what puts pressure on people to, to, to do it. Oh, definitely. Definitely. So when you were catering, when you had the catering business, you weren't dealing with allergies then at all? No. no. Yeah. Way, way back, Maria, way back. Well, yeah. you know, it, it's the, it wasn't the issue. You know, when, when I think when I was at school, uh, which admittedly is a very long time ago, but, you know, peanut allergy just didn't exist. No. You know, if the one or two in 2000 kids had a peanut allergy, that would probably, I never, ever remember coming across it. Whereas we're no. now looking at one in 40 kids. You know, it's just so. so what simply, has changed that then? What has is that awareness, or is it what oh, we're no, eating? No, no, or no, no, there's a massive increase in allergy, and you know, if if everyone knew what what was causing it, that would be a long way towards dealing with it. Because there, there are just so many, you know, there have been so Variables. many changes over the last seventy years, basically since the yes. end of the Second World War, since so, the end of rationing, probably. Yeah. Well, so many changes, but but not just in food. I mean, the you no. know the whole kind of green revolution, the the enormous use of, of uh, fertilizers, nitrogen, or you know all of that monocultures. Too. So you're yeah. reducing the nutritional value of the soil. Yep. You know, which by definition must be reducing the nutritional value of the food. Yep. Then how are you cooking it? Then you've got pesticide residues. Well, okay, in theory they're not residues, but you know, are they really? And then what you know, you how do you how are you cooking it? You've got all your huge processing. So, you know, what's that done to the nutritional value of the food? Yep. And then, you know, how much now sugar do we all eat? And and then there's the whole kind of fat issue, which another, you know, did they get yep. it completely wrong with the whole of low fat, you know, well as I said, it's another issue. But then, I mean, it's not just that. If it was just that, but it's exercise, everyone stopped taking yep. any exercise. It's the number of... Nobody chem- walks to school, everybody gets dropped off in a car, all Absolutely. those things. Yeah, you very know, different lifestyles. The silly little things, you know, back in the day, when you wanted to open the, your car window, you wound it up and down. Yes. You know, it's ridiculous, but now I you know. just press a little button. If you wanted to change the channel on the television, you had to get up and walk to the telly and change it. You know, all these very, very tiny things, but accumulative. Yes. And then, you know, there's there's whole other issues like, you know, the number of chemicals that we use, not just in, in, in the home, in, in your the home, toiletries, in your everything. Absolutely. We don't really know what the effects of, of those are. Cumulatively, certainly not either. No. And then another whole can of worms of the whole business about electromagnetic radiation and, you know, yeah. Wi-Fi and all of 5G, everything else. We yeah. really don't know. Man-made electromagnetic radiation. We really have no idea what's that doing to us no. or to the environment or anything else. And, you know, so there's so much that we've Has thrown changed. so much at the, you know, the human body really, over the last 70 years, kind of massive changes, which yeah. normally would have taken hundreds of thousands of years. And which we would have evolved to cope with one at a time then. Mm, yeah, exactly. So that, that, you know, it's hardly surprising, you know, allergies are, re- it's really the whole kind of autoimmune thing. And then, you know, quite apart from the whole business of the microbiome, you know, yes. what did we do to ourselves in the process of trying to make ourselves all lovely, clean and hygienic and have no parasites, and no anything else that, you know, we, we we have actually screwed up our microbiome. S- stripped up, a, uh, stripped out all the good stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, all of those things, I mean, I don't think, so that I don't think there is an answer no. to allergies. Uh, allergies basically, you know, are immune And also system. we've got better at detecting them, mm-hmm. recognising them and as well. So... That is perfectly true because, I mean, I can mm-hmm. remember years ago talking to somebody about a milk allergy and she, she said well i don't know what you're talking about milk allergy 
I'd say we've, and she said, well, I've never drunk milk. So I said, oh, why not? Well, she said, it makes me sick. Uh, well, uh, does that not count as being some kind of intolerance? No, she said, it just makes me sick. So I don't drink it. I mean, oh, that's funny, are. isn't it? Awareness is mm. also, there's also. And, and as a family, we all have an intolerance to dairy at some level mm. because at different points in our lives with all the different things. And when I was vegetarian 16 and eating a lot of cheese and struggling with my hearing, the lady whose cafe I worked in said, cut out your dairy. And and at that time, she was almost regarded as a bit of a strange, mystical woman who thought that food had something to do with how you functioned, you know? Yeah. But she, she told me to cut out dairy which I did, and I never needed the hearing aid that I was about to exactly. get. Exactly. And then my brother had grommets fitted, and when they came adrift, I said to him, while you're waiting to get them back in, cut out dairy. And How many kids has wouldn't, wouldn't never have ever had grommets? Yeah. I know. But, but you know, uh, why, why is it that we think that it's natural for human beings who yeah. are omnivores to drink the milk of a cow which has three stomachs and eats grass why why would we think that was a natural thing to do it doesn't seem to make to me any sense at all i mean why would it agree with us okay because because we're incredibly adaptable over over this millennia but then we were never getting as much of it as we are now i mean i can as a child i could count on one hand probably the number of times in a year you would see cream Mm. Yeah, because or it ice cream, ice cream, which yeah. is something super yeah. special, and you had, you know, three times and, over the summer. Huh? I know, and and then we just get so used to you've got your own freezer, you have all this stuff, and mm. so it is. It's a very big change in our diet. It's easy to see that. Growing up, what did you think you were going to do? What was your interest? What did you set out to do? Did you have any? I had no idea, absolutely no idea at all. I mean, I, I. I read history at university because it seemed like a kind of easy and relatively pleasant thing to do. And I had no idea. I, say, does any? <laughs> yeah, I came out of university. I went for one, um, I went for an interview with Boots. I can't remember why no. Boots the chemist. I can't remember why or what the job was. And then I decided not to do that. And then I, I for a while I worked in property. And then I was going to start some kind of rental agency. And I decided, no, no, I'll, I'll go off and I'll, I'll kind of basically take a gap year, rather belatedly yes. take a gap year. And so I went off and, and kind of traipsed around the States, which for six months, very conveniently running out of money when I was up in the uh, in the Rockies in Aspen. And so I just had to stay for the winter and earn some money. And and I know, yeah. I know. It was so hard. And came back and literally was hanging around not knowing what I was going to do and saw – an ad in some paper or other for some woman down in Fulham who uh, wanted some help with a dinner party and a cocktail party. And I thought, well, that's a bit bloody pathetic, isn't it? She can't even do it. (laughs) Anyway, I went down and discovered that she was actually had a small kind of catering business from home. And we really hit it off. And she was looking for a partner because her husband had said, if you can get a partner, I'll buy a premises and convert it so you can have a kitchen downstairs and I'll let the flat upstairs. So that you know, that was how I got into catering. Brilliant. <laughs> that doesn't, so there was no, no, uh, absolutely no vocational there at all. No, but it's interesting. Had your family 
been people that that were entrepreneurial that did things for themselves or you know i mean i'm just curious about so yeah Yeah. so Mm. you kind of knew you could find your own solution to things i guess so i mean it never occurred to me i've never actually had a job in my life well since i turned down boots i've never i did i could nobody would nobody would employ me well Um, i was going to say i think we're all a bit like that after a few years of working for yourself you're like well, the catering business was fine, but it, it mm. very soon became, you know, a lot of boring business lunches. And then, you know, people's weddings in June on a Saturday when you'd much rather be doing something else. And we're, so we then started specialising in doing historical stuff, doing for mainly PR things, doing yeah. all the, which was, yeah. And, and yeah. I then kind of realised that, that although I'd never had any intention of studying history, actually the history, we, we, in fact, the, my original idea was to do kind of um, regional English food, and I right. ran out of enthusiasm for that extremely quickly, and and then moved on to to looking at historical, historical. food, which was much more fun. Where I then started looking at historical, you know, recipes, or in as much as there were. I mean, you can only go recipes back yes. to about the seventeenth century, but beyond that, before that. You know, diaries and the information. Yeah, I was get. just going to say discussions about what had yeah, been yeah. eaten, and exactly. yeah. Exactly. And then recreating kind of viable 20th century versions of those dishes, which was brilliant. And then we did all these amazing um, dinners in stately homes and castles where we would recreate the meals. And when we'd have, you know, period and everyone would dress up and it was tremendous fun. It was great. Bloody hard work. But it was it was great fun. And and then yeah. finally we got fed up with it and, and flogged it. And and but at that point I'd got really interested in writing about it. So I was writing, you know, historical recipe books and historical, you know, social history type books. At which point we then this allergy thing came up and, and I got distracted. So there was never there has never been any intention in anything that no. I've done, I'm afraid. <laughs> but that's that's great. So and then Free From Awards started when? Well, that, your- that grew out of those dinners that you came to, because what what we what we were doing is um, in the it was a monthly magazine, so every month I would invite a group around and we would test something, you know, dairy free milks and gluten free sausages, whatever it was. Yeah, we we did this table which would have you know what was in them and what they were free from and where you could buy them and how much they cost and what they tasted like and all of that kind of stuff, which seemed you know was was very popular and you know the readers all loved mm-hmm. it. And then I mean we I think it was after an allergy show which was you know going then it was two thousand and eight, yes. and we were, it'd been it'd been a really successful show and we were thinking oh what you know what can we do. And in fact, the the lovely Steve Burgess, who sadly died a couple of years ago, um, had been. We'd, I think they'd been staying with us, and you know, we'd all be in the show together. And he said, "You know, you should run awards." And I said, "Oh, should we? Oh, oh all right. Um, how do we do that?" And then we thought, "Well, actually, we could use these tables." So for yes. the first couple of years, we literally took the tables uh, in in the magazine. Mm-hmm picked out the best product from each tasting that we'd done and then yes. had one day when we, you know, we invited some people in and we tried them and that was the winner. And that was fine. But of course, at that point, because there weren't that many products on the market, yes. the idea with the tables was to get everything that we could find um, and and try them all. But of course, you know, 
at this point, we're now 2010, and there was a lot more product around. And by year three, we realized that this was kind of impossible because we were... I can remember having conversations with you then when people were sending you all 32 variants of something they made or... Well, the, the, the kind of crunch point came when we we did the cake tasting and we got everything that was in the market. And I kind of divided them up into, you know, fruit cakes and sponge cakes and chocolate cakes and ginger cakes and whatever it was. And we were all dutifully plowing through these and everyone was feeling... Oh, can we have a bit of a break? Do you mind if I just go and you know have a walk in the garden? Have you got any celery, something or other? <laughs> and I then counted up because I hadn't counted up, counted up how many cakes, and we had eighty cakes. <gasps> At which point we realised that you know this was, and and it then seemed you know the, obviously it was the right moment as far as the industry was concerned because the industry was just mm-hmm. growing. And, oh, we've got awards! Ah, oh, we're a proper industry. We've got awards. Yes, and so we got a lot of support. And so at that point we thought, okay, well you know we need to make them into proper awards and you know charge for entry and have a special so so that was 2010 i think we did that yeah i I think from the very earliest days of the table i can remember jeffrey hyman being very insistent that we only used proper technical language discuss discuss things in a way that no 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 don't don't do that don't do it this way you've got to do it this way which was marvelous it was great oh bless him just the upholder of standards at that point he was was absolutely brilliant because he taught me everything i i knew about tasting and how to set about it so no 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 it was great very excited if we didn't follow that system (laughs) so you know which was good because you need that yes particularly with 80 of some to oh, absolutely. Because, you know, we hadn't got a clue. And because, you know, we weren't really part of the food industry as such, and we never had been. We were no. coming, we're really coming from an allergy background, because what the magazine did was, you know, what I was really into, when, in fact, what I'm still really interested in is all the, the new research and, and yes. you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I was all into writing articles and, and you know, tracking down research. So I didn't know anything about food industry and tasting. So it was just as well that Jeffrey and people like you were around who, who you know, I had some idea of what we ought to be doing. <laughs> well, Je- Jeffrey particularly, I always think I learned a lot from mm. any session that I was in with him. And, and also that, you know, he and Simon Wright mm. could tell you why something was in there, if it was necessary or not, you know. And and funnily enough, I don't know, I was, I, um, I'm making lobster thermidor mac and cheese this week. But I'm, do- but, I, but I'm doing it gluten-free because that's just what and so I thought okay if I'm going to use decent ingredients and I'm getting my cheese from the artisan cheese person and I'm getting my you know so and I thought what I don't want is to do the breadcrumb on the top with some filthy piece of bread (laughs) so I was reading all the ingredient decks on different breads Mm. to try and get to one that I thought had the least number of necessary ingredients in it, you know? And sometimes you're looking at it thinking, what? Why? Why do they need that? You know, I thought I'd like to get them round the table and ask them a few questions about something. And often I know it'll be for colour or for, you know, something completely different, but you're just thinking, oh, really? You know, and I think it's a shame because this is probably a reasonable product, but the fact that the ingredient list is eight inches long is quite off-putting. But I, I think that things have changed a lot in that respect too. I mean, clean ingredients lists now are nothing to do with allergy. You know, people are very hot. And I'm like, I can remember, God, 
probably 10 years ago, I can't even remember what the company was, but now quite a big manufacturing company, going and talking to them about allergy and intolerance and catering for this market. Yes. Just, think, just look at your recipes because you need half of that stuff that's in there. Strip out anything extra. Yeah. yeah. You have a bit of this stuck in, a bit of that. Stuff. You do, do you actually need most of those? Or if you just look you at put those in recipes. somebody's stock cube, which yep. then introduces another 22 things yep. when in yep. fact – possibly one other ingredient mm. would do instead of it. It is, and, and I mean, certainly clean ingredient has become a, a much better thing now. So you do tend to get like that. Now, following on from that, um, something that I like to ask people is, too much of what is never enough? <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't need to be food. It can be... But I, I, as a Scottish person, I think I think it's a genetic flaw. I would say too much butter is never enough. I, I would, because... yeah, I'd agree about the butter. <laughs> I, I think if you're going to do it, then you know butter is amazing. Put it on properly, absolutely. Yeah. Funny enough, I I don't um, because kind of dating from days when we were all uh, I ran a dairy free household. I actually really love coconut oil. And so I yes. use coconut oil a great deal. I, I love it as a, as a cooking medium. Yes. I think particularly, well, not, not of course that we cook much meat these days, but um, if you do, within the context of a casserole, it gives a kind of a velvety texture, which is absolutely beautiful. It so does. I do use coconut oil for most of my cooking. So but, too much coconut oil but, is never enough. Well, that's true. <laughs> but butter has something in flavor terms. It's just something completely different. Now, if I'm cooking mushrooms, for example, Butter, yes. it has to be, you know, it's just a whole different, a different ball game. So I don't, I'd sort of agree with the butter. I, you know, chocolate is never going to, good chocolate, good chocolate, yes. good dark chocolate. There's never going to be enough of that. What else? I'd say pears. Why do I say pears at the moment? Because pears, for some reason, for years, I've struggled to get nice pears. And somehow mm -hmm. right now, they all seem to, and the, the season has gone on forever. I don't understand. I don't know what's yes. happened. Interestingly, I noticed today when we were talking is actually World's Pear Day. Is it? And I was thinking, why? why? Yeah. And they said because this was the optimum time. And I thought, gosh, mine really? in the garden were there in September. Yeah. But when I then looked at varieties that grow in the UK, they are ready end of September, end of October, end of November. So because I was looking, obviously, at seasonality and, mm. and things like that. Mm. And so you can, you know, probably get better access to British grown pears at, at this time of year. But there have been some super ones. It's been an absolute delight. And, and the other fruit, which for me, I could never have enough of, and I have uh, sadly mm -hmm. have gone to hell all in a handcart, is nectarines. Ah. The nectarines have been terrible the last couple of years. Right. But that, that, that also, you know, but then with all fruit, it's, you know, fresh off the tree. It's just such a yeah, it's so completely different, different, you know, cup of tea. So, so mm. I am hopefully going to Spain at Christmas because, of course, well, nothing is ever you? certain. Mm. And and the thing that I look forward to is Chardon fruit, which there are loads of, you know, persimmons yeah. at that time of year. And they're just delicious like that. But that would to also, the market. you know, January, February, go to Spain, the orange. 
Mm, Again, yes. something completely different, you know, nothing like the kind of manky, flavorless stuff that we get here. No, well, no, by the time mm. it has been chilled for so long to get to us and things, I know, mm, I know. Mm, mm, but yeah, mm, oh, that's that's mm. these are good. These are all good mm. ones. I think you'll struggle with this one because I think you probably always do it. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about stepping out of your comfort zone, and you look back, is there anything you've done that has really amazed you that you did it, that you think, I can't believe I did that? Or, Well, I suppose it's kind of, it's not really me. I mean, I think it's, you know, the, the whole free from thing it has been very interesting. I mean, I, I have to say, I've never really felt terribly out of my comfort zone, which is probably a no. really bad thing, isn't it? I should no, have done. No, it's not. No, it's not. I think Because, I mean, for some people, it means they've never been out their comfort zone. Mm. But I think it is that you stretch yourself and push your boundaries I all just the time. I kind of do things. Yeah. Which is a bit alarming. I mean, you know, here I am I now involved in this massive house project that I'm doing now. And I think, oh, my God, what, what did I do? Why did I start here? But, you know, I just kind of do things. Yeah, it always. I would, good. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you get a thrill out of doing something exciting and new. I mean, I remember way, way back in the days when we when we ran the the catering business. You know, because I, I was the one who went out and talked to the clients, and you know, and I can mm-hmm. remember the thrill even now of getting one of these really big, massive uh, job. You know, we did some, for yes. example, in the VNA museum oh, yes uh-huh. which is i mean yep. you know vna museum is a complete joke because i mean there's one cold tap somewhere in the basement yes. and, and no electrics and you I, know i have had to do food for a supermarket on hms belfast and things yeah. do you know and and there is like a hand wash mm-hmm. thing only and you mm. think really mm. yeah mm. so I, yeah. I think you know i've always found these things quite exciting rather than yes rather than frightening than, yeah and uh, i mean afterwards you think oh what did I do that for? Why did I agree to do this? But anyhow, anyway, by that but time is, you're into it up your neck. So. And, I, and I think that's that kind of competitiveness with yourself, stretching yourself. And because I, I think I'm not massively competitive with other people. I don't really care what other people have done, despite my mother's, you know, if you came second, she'd always ask who came first. But you know, I just don't, I don't have that has to win, has no. to be top, has to be. But if I set myself a walking target for this year, I keep a monthly chart and I would be known to go and do a very long walk on the 30th of December just- if I thought I was going to fail my target. I, I, you know, I will com- push myself. I'll compete with myself. And I think, I think... That's why I said I thought you might struggle to think of what you'd stepped outside your comfort zone. Yeah, for, it's I an interesting one, really. Yeah. You kind of do it a lot, I suspect. What makes life interesting? Yes. What have you eaten recently that you've loved? At home, out, been given, what have you found? Well, do you know, I've found that, um, I suppose, partly kind of COVID and, and all the rest of it. So I've been eating at home a lot. And I mean, I'm not consciously trying to save the world by not eating meat, but I haven't eaten eaten much meat for years. But I just brew up. I'm I'm very bad at thinking in advance. Um, So I never plan what I'm going to eat. So it's always come up. I said, oh, food. Yes, right. And I just have an endless selection. I always have a fridge full of vegetables. I always have things like anchovies, maybe a little bit of bacon, Mm. having said I don't eat very much meat bit of soy sauce, few little, you know, few chilies, things like yes. that. 
And I just tend to cook up these combinations of vegetables. Concoctions. Concoctions of vegetables. Yes. And I find, you know, I, I don't even, I rarely even use pasta. I've, I have to remind myself to use no. rice. It's yes. nearly always, you know, there'll, there'll be um, some root vegetables, there'll be some greens, whatever else. And there does seem to be an absolutely endless selection of, of dishes you can come up with. And I think, you know, I really enjoy doing that. I now yes. find, my, I find myself a lot of the time thinking, do I really want to go out? You know. Will it level up with what you could make yourself? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I remember talking to the lovely Anna Del Conte, you know, mm. um, who yes. said, darling, I don't go out to eat. They don't cook nearly as well as I do myself. Why would I want to go out? <laughs> Which is true. It's true, though. It's yeah. so true so often, isn't it? And it's not 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 only that you're you're not eating as well, but you're also paying a fortune for it. I know. Which is really unfair because obviously there are lots of restaurants which are, are excellent. And, and that sounds as though I'm trying to diss at restaurants, which I'm really not. I'm not. And, and I certainly would go out. I mean, I, I've never... Cooking an Indian meal has never appealed to me. I mean, Indians no. understand Indian cooking. And so if I want to eat an Indian meal, I will go to an Indian restaurant. To go and Similarly, and a Chinese, it. a Thai, whatever else mm. it is. So I have had, so I've actually had very good locally, excellent Indian meals. So I, I have, yes. you know, done that. So. But I love when you get a spice paste or a blend or something that's new to you that you can then do what you're doing with your vegetables and things. Mm. And I am... Um, Recently was at um, Paul Hargreaves from Cotswold Fair has this beautiful new farm shop called Flourish. Mm. And I was there and kind of looking for things that I hadn't seen. And I picked up a product called Peanut Ryu, R-A-Y-U, which is oil, chilies, sesame seeds, peanuts. And I tasted it and loved it. And I mean, and then... Encouraged by other people in the Guild of Food Writers Forum, they said, try it on eggs, try it on. And, you know, so you've kind of gone through this process of of having it with everything. And it is just that punchy. There are some Korean chilies in it and different things. And then somebody else said, I found that one that you bought quite oily. Mm -hmm. So I made my own and I thought I could probably do that too Mm -hmm. with the ingredient list as a rough recipe and just reduce the oil and up there. And I've done that and it has been phenomenal, especially like a week after it had gone into the fridge. Yes. All that flavour in it. Yeah. And to be able to toast the sesame seeds and, and everything. And it is one of those things that a spoonful of it can brighten up lift, anything. Lift a meal. Yes. Absolutely. So Absolutely. right. Absolutely. So right. And yeah. and you know that there's nothing in it that you don't know about and everything that's in it is pretty clean and I tell you the, I tell you the other thing that that I make, which is really very self indulgent, is I make kefir. Um but I only make it with unpasteurized Guernsey milk. Yeah. Wow. Which is, is yeah, I mean, if you like kefir, obviously, if you don't like yes. kefir, then it's not relevant. Mm. But it has a richness to it, which is, oh, yes. No, but then again, I, I was... That's something that somebody from the Guild got me onto was making my own kefir. And the great thing about that is that when the grains all multiply up, the dogs get the grains. And oh, really? love them, which, which the vet tells me is a pretty good thing to give them. The other thing that my, my vet recently said to me, I want to tell you about something to give your dog, but I don't know what the English word for it is. And I said, well, try it's me. food related, try me. And she said, sauerkraut. And I said, the reason that there isn't a word for it is because we use the word. Well, it's sauerkraut. Really? And so I said, I completely know what that is. And she, because one of my dogs had had a gut problem 
And she said a little bit of sauerkraut in all their meals will really help them. So they get a dollop oh. of sauerkraut in all their meals and love well, it. Well, I, I have to say that Boris, one of my, my, my secret mm. ginger cat, loves looking at the cashier dish. Yeah. So, so there you are. I never actually thought yes. about that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I also, unfortunately, have a dog that if you leave a latte down, would drain it. So ah. it's not always the case that they're eating things that are good for them. But you kind of think, did I not have any left? Oh. Sorry. This is, sorry. Arwen's come to call. Yes. Yep. Says, Damn, you're talking Arwen. about cats. Here yeah. I am. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell anyone who was going to start something for themselves business wise? What would you say? If you don't do anything else, make sure you do this first or think about this early on or. I think probably the most important and the most boring thing to think about is cash flow. Because, you know, you the, the difficulty with a new small business is that uh, there's so much to do. It's so exciting. It's so, you know, there's, there's, you know, you get completely taken over by it. And how many small businesses have started very well and then just because they simply can't afford to go on have have failed? And it's yeah. a great shame. I, I mean, I think it, it – I know it's really boring and one doesn't want to think about these things, but I do but think – But it's pretty essential. It is essential. Yeah. Some sort of basic plan, planning where you're going, planning where your costs are – making sure that you do have some idea of what, what you're actually doing. So do it, doing some planning. I mean, I'm the, I, you know, I say this, I'm the worst person. I just jump and think, oh, I've got an idea. Let's do it. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. And we do it. But I am conscious of the fact that is not really the way, the way to be successful. You can't plan everything in advance because no. it's never going to work out the way you plan it. And there's got to be a bit of flexibility. There must be loads of flexibility and you must be ready to, to go with the flow. So if something, yes. you know, you're halfway down route A and route B comes along and really looks good, then you must be prepared to change. But to I, change. Do th- I do think one of the most important things, you know, not it's not actually in year one. It's in year two and year three when things are yes. going really well and you want to get bigger and you want to expand, you want to do this and that and the other thing. And then you find that, that you actually, you know, you run out of cash. And, and if you leave it to that point to ask for it, nobody will give you late. it. Whereas if you'd asked six mm. months earlier, yeah. they may well all have fallen over themselves to help mm. you. Mm. So, yeah, yep. no, I think mm. that's very good. Mm. If you could take three pieces of food or food equipment to your desert island, I can I can think coconut oil. <laughs> unless unless you're I, sure your desert island will have my, it. Yeah, come on. My, what are you going to a desert island for, for goodness sake? It's not going to have coconuts. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. No, not coconut oil. No, I'm not going to do that. No. Oh, what am I going to take? I'm going to take a sharp knife, a steel yep. knife, not a stainless steel one, thank you, a proper steel knife, which okay. probably means I also need to take a sharpener of some kind or other. Or a stone. Yeah, my steel knife. Oh, no, I could use a stone there, couldn't I? So I probably don't need to take that. Okay. Um, what else would I take? So now am I going to be able to create some kind of a frying pan or other? Because I do, I cook virtually everything I cook is on the hob. I very rarely use yep. an oven because I'm, I'm a last minute cook. So it has to be quick. An oven takes too mm-hmm. long. So I might, yeah, I might take a frying pan. So one ounce of frying pan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And goodness me, what else would I take? Do I take my coffee machine? <laughs> I think you probably do and hope that you get beans. Well, that's going to be a bit dodgy because I'll need the beans. I'll need the electricity to run yeah. it. Yes. Um, is, is this a proper desert island offer? Uh, do I? Other, other people have said solar power because <laughs> they've thought ahead. Well, that's going to be there, for goodness sake. Oh, I you know. have to convert it, don't you? Yeah. 
You need That's something. So a solar-powered coffee machine is what you need. Solar-powered gadget is what I want, yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I do. And then, and then just a, mm. an occasional shipwreck with with your coffee with washing tea. ashore. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, Thank you. That's been really lovely. It's been really good to have a chat with you. I've really enjoyed it. And I know that there's lots of of good stuff in there and good stories so thank you very much thank you for listening to my podcast let me introduce you with jane milton i hope you enjoyed this episode please subscribe in apple Podcasts, stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you don't miss an episode please leave a comment to let us know what you've enjoyed or connect to us on social media at jane milton food If you found it interesting, please share the details with other food businesses you know. We always love meeting new food businesses. See you next episode.